0: Behind every great artist, there's a great band who help take the music from the studio to the stage. In each episode, I talk with some of the most accomplished and sought-after musicians in the world, delving into the details of their backgrounds, their stories, and their journeys, doing away with the fiction, and getting into the facts. It's not about the hype, it's not about the product, it's about the players. Yo, 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 thanks for tuning in, downloading. In this episode, I caught up with Okian, pianist, composer, musician. During lockdown, we jumped on a call, and in this two-part episode learn about his unique background how he managed to work his way into the session game and his continuing efforts to redefine what a pianist and composer is in 2020 enjoy all right, shit. Well, let's get into it. Um, I'm here with my good friend, Oaky M. Warman. Um I mean, I very rarely call you that. Yeah. I'm, I pretty much call you Oak or Oak Boogie or Maestro or something <laughs> of that nature. But um, I'm just going to say Oak for the purpose of this. Is that okay? That's fine. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just, how, you know, wanted to talk to you a little bit, man. Just wanted to kind of... Break down a little bit about who you are, what you do, what you've done, what you're doing, um, and just thought it'd be great for you to come on and talk. So, man, really glad to have you here, man. How are you at the minute?
1: Yeah, feeling good. Feeling, yeah, really positive, actually. I'm really focused on staying positive through lockdown, as we're at right now. Um, So I think just being proactively positive, you're taking mind into a good place to find some, some new answers and new ways of doing things. I think Absolutely We probably all need to consider Right now Absolutely Absolutely So like listen How would you
0: Describe yourself For somebody that doesn't know Who you are and what you do How would you describe yourself As a musician As an artist Like What would be What would you say
1: Well um, I'm a composer Mm -hmm. Um, So the style of music I make now I start calling it Cinematic Classical Okay, nice. <laughs> it's, got, it's got an element of uh, sort of classical, you know, mm-hmm. and sort of style. It's sort of very piano based, but there's orchestral instruments, you know, a lot of violins and, you know, a lot of strings, brass. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's really melody driven. Mm-hmm, uh, even it's mm-hmm. instrumental, um, it's not like atmospheric, it's very song based sort of music. Mm hmm. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, I've been performing that. I've made my first album called Zero, so X-I-R-O. It's a 15-track album, so I've been playing that everywhere and anywhere that I can. And yeah, it's just, it feels like the right thing to do now. Obviously, I went from doing a lot of session work with you Mm -hmm. for the most part, uh, (laughs) these different artists playing Mm -hmm. their music, and then I just needed, you know, a change so I could do more musically, which took me down the road now. So would you, cause
0: obviously I met you originally as a, um, as a keyboard player, as a pianist. So would you consider yourself a pianist that composes or a composer that plays piano? Like how,
1: how does that work out for you? Uh, it's, you know, I think I'm a pianist first mm-hmm. and, and I, I compose, um, but yeah, it's my love for the piano that extends, that's create everything. That's what made me become a keyboard player and do the session stuff that we were doing. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's my sort of love for the piano is where it all starts. And then I like writing music as well. I hear so much music in my head. Mm-hmm. When I sit down, I just start to create things. And yeah, that's how it kind of all
0: formed. That's great. man. So, so when did you when did you first foster this love for the piano? When did you start playing?
1: So we had a piano in the house growing up and mm-hmm. for no reason. My parents didn't play. My brothers, one of my brothers played a bit, but it was just in the house. He, my parents found out quickly that I could play um, the songs from the cartoons I was watching on the piano. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> what kind of age were you then? Probably about six. Six. Oh, wow. Five. Okay. Yeah. So then my dad, he he would have his friends over or have business meetings at the house and he'd call me to do the entertainment. He'd be like, right, come and play a song for or for, for everyone. So I'd start doing these like home gigs from maybe right. eight years old or something. But obviously when my parents saw that, then they said, right, let's get you proper lessons. So from age nine, I started doing classical mm-hmm. um, and did that for 12 or 13 years. Wow. Yeah. So right through school and then into university as well. But, you know, I was lucky I had these amazing teachers who, well, the the funny thing is I only actually went up to grade five. Right. Okay. Okay. After grade five, what I realized is there's these players in school who Mm -hmm. did grade eight and beyond, but they couldn't play any music that I wanted to play. And when you took music away, they couldn't play anything. Right.
0: Right. Of course.
1: And so I said to my teacher, I want to be a musician. I really want to learn how? So I've got this natural gift. I think I can hear this type of music in my head. I can play by ear really well. Teach me mm-hmm. music. So we start to do something called practical musicianship. Okay. Which is more exams. Like they will sing you a phrase and you have to play it back, or mm-hmm. rhythmic exercises, but more music focus rather than just scales, 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 arpeggios, and broken chords and. Your three songs, so what you made, you made your own curriculum, yeah, <laughs> <Is that right? laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: And my said, te- yeah, I see what you're doing, but um, <laughs> the way I want to do this is <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So he was like, We're gonna teach you, you're gonna learn stuff beyond grade eight. So we were doing Rachmaninoff and these incredible, incredibly technical classical piano pieces, but I never did it for exams, right? Right, we just did it to learn the technique, to learn the music, to learn um what they were doing while they were composing it. So then, um, yeah, I feel like I got a really good music education that was quite unique because, like I said, other people were doing high-level grades, but mm-hmm. nothing. no one in the school inspired me musically, apart from one guy right. who's now a film composer in LA.
0: Right, okay, okay. So,
1: but he had a gift and a talent and used music. I thought it was just, I loved it, it inspired me. But just learning music to pass exams that I was was not interested in from quite a young age. So where we so where were you schooling? Like where 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 were
0: these kind of conversations and this kind of made up curriculum that you did? Where was this happening?
1: (laughs) So I was in boarding school from age nine. So I even I live in London, I was in boarding school out in the countryside. So I was for the most part in Bath. So Right. Way, way, way out. So yeah, we had really good teachers. Like my head of music was the head of abrsm so the head of the whole um piano examination board so he mm-hmm. he's a teacher for the teachers right 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 they were the teachers were inspiring because and there is the stuff they would hear and like seeing him play the organ and you know i'm struggling with two lines of music they've got three lines his feet are going crazy and he's just sight reading this stuff unbelievably and like right these are the people i need to learn from Right,
0: right, right. That's right. You know, I forgot you went to boarding school. So that must have been like a really different kind of um, experience, kind of going to boarding school, um, which I know nothing about, (laughs) but then also kind of like learning music um, in that kind of way. Like, how did you, um, how was that for you? That must have been like culturally a bit different, but also kind of like, you know, creatively and musically, that must have been a different kind of um, way of going about things. How did you find that?
1: You know, at the time, it was just completely normal right looking back yeah. now like it was really it was so unique you know i think now yes. like spotify and things that like, everyone's got quite a more eclectic mix of what they're listening to but some mm-hmm. reason from age nine I've, cause I've got two older brothers as well they yeah. we are deeply into american hip-hop so <laughs> you <laughs> know i'm listening to bone thugs and harmony tupac biggie You know, this is Uh DMX, KRS-One, this is my sort of go-to, and then with some R&B, and then I'm doing classical piano.
0: Right, right, (laughs) right.
1: But at the time, there was no disconnect. It was just, that's just what I'm doing. and Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize these are all the influences, even obviously culturally in school, because it's a lot more normal. So many kids are doing music, classical music, and, you know, playing orchestral pieces. I was singing in the choir because I was doing GCC music. So I had to sing in a choir and there's all things like that, which are very normal in that world, you know, and then I come back to London and, you know, I lived near the estates and I go and play basketball with, you know, in the hood, you know, people are in the papers for gang related this and that, you know, but (laughs) this, this massive melting pot of cultures and people and music I was Influenced by And it was just At the time So normal It's so only looking back and like Yeah there's a lot of um, Influences
0: Did you like So did you have a Favourite composer Or pianist That you were kind of Highly into At that particular time
1: Not till about 15 or 16 And it was Rachmaninoff So right, the okay, first okay. time I, saw, I heard his music Performed I was just like What is that I'll, I'll never forget That day It was just and i i said to my teacher i need to learn that piece there's a prelude right right c sharp minor and mm-hmm. that say that again sorry i'm not missing it was it's called the prelude in c sharp minor uh, i think that's the first time classical music really connected for me and i was like that is just that's amazing and i and i started to learn amazing
0: all right that's so so and you, you mentioned basketball, like did you have obviously, you're going to boarding school, you're learning music, you're, you're on one side, you're listening to all this like hip-hop, another side, you're just playing classical music. Did you have any particular thing that you wanted to do outside of music like at that kind of time? Did you w- w- What
1: did you want to be? What did you want to do?: So at that time, especially as a teenager, it was all about sport. I wanted to be a professional basketball player was the big dream. So obviously being in boarding school in Bath, I was like, I'm going to university in London. because I need to make a name for myself as a basketball player. Right. Because everything, you know, all the big players were in London. So yeah. So I came to Brunel university in West London and I'll never forget. Um, I was going for a music scholarship mm-hmm. and I went there with some of my teammates and they're like, Oh, you're never going to get it. These guys are like grade eight musicians. And I was like, now, trust me, I, I I can I can do about this. So I went right. in and did my thing and I got the music scholarship. Uh, wow. And I was the only pianist that year to be awarded one. But the whole <laughs> I still wasn't really taking music seriously. I was there to play basketball.
0: So music was just like, yeah, you know, sort of like, yeah, let me just pimp this music thing so I can get this
1: basketball going. <laughs> that was the whole thing. It was just it was a talent and something I'd done for years, but it was the whole focus. Was basketball, and right, okay, yeah, it's literally up until my even my third year of uni, um, yeah, I was still just thinking, I yeah, I, I want to play. I wanted to play in America. I had an mm-hmm, offer, mm-hmm. but I didn't take it because the time wasn't right. So I remember I finished uni, and mm-hmm. I did an audition for a gig in Russia. And when right, okay. when I got there and I moved out to Russia, all the messages I got were congratulations on moving to, to Russia, what, what team are you playing for? What team? No one even really knew I was taking music seriously. So I was like, no, 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 I'm not here playing basketball. And I'm out here playing music. And this is even <laughs> age 21, 22. People still thought I was a basketball player. So how did you
0: get that? How did you get the audition? Like, And how do you audition for a Russian artist? How did that come about?
1: So, the, I mean, essentially, obviously I graduated and mm-hmm. I'm thinking – I say, what am I going to do in my life? Um, I've got a degree in business and marketing. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, I I want to play professional basketball. Uh, I've got this talent for piano and music. So I started to look online and there's a website called star now. Yeah, I know star now. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, star now, I don't know if it's still going, (laughs) but I remember it. Yeah. Star now, put it like this. I think 90% of the stuff on there is not great. Right. Um, It's stuff that you want to maybe do for experience. But Mm -hmm. there are some gems on there. I've had a couple of things on there which are just unbelievable. But the first audition I did, I did two auditions straight out of uni. The first one was playing uh, in piano bars uh, overseas. But I'm not a great singer. I can blag a bit of singing. But I went in audition singing some Lionel Richie.
0: (laughs) I just want you to know, I
1: want you to see that. Like, oh, I would man. actually love to, the to video see you playing Lionel Richie and singing it. <laughs> oh, man, the video exists somewhere. Wow. Um, wow. Okay. Or oh, maybe, you know, sing a verse and a chorus under my breath and then just play the piano. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't get it. And the guy who was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that, yeah, right? Funny, funny. <laughs> I can't sing I didn't get a singing game. <laughs> yeah and this guy it was a bit weird he's like i want to train you come over to my house and it all got a bit weird for me so that didn't happen then this other audition came up which said um it's an audition for the russian robbie williams and this is when robbie williams is selling out the hundred thousand tickets a gig and he is the guy i thought okay cool let me go on audition so at the time i didn't even have a professional keyboard you know it was A Yamaha DGX620, if anyone wants to know. (laughs) Uh, You know, onboard speakers vibes. It was, you know, a a very intermediate level keyboard, but huge. Right. Um, So I take my keyboard down and it's a very keyboard-based gig. A lot of electronic sounds and synths, Mm -hmm. which I've never touched. All I've done is classical piano. Wow. So I get to the audition and I do the whole audition on the piano sound. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I just do my thing and meet the guys and they're like cool and play some Jamiroquai and play some of the artist songs and then I get the call back they said uh, uh, yeah great we loved you it's between you and one other keyboard player can you come back in for a final audition to this day I've never experienced anything like this but this is how it went down I get to the final audition with my Yamaha on board speakers <laughs> <laughs> and the other guy, um, who you will know, um, he has got I think two nords, and he knows how to program them. I mean, his sounds are great; they sound just like the record. And he's playing the parts fantastically. Uh, you know, he's a he's a you know he know, he's a keyboard player. He knows what he's doing. And I, again, do the whole thing. As opposed to
0: somebody that was kind of blagging, okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I was was like, look, I can, I'm just going to stick on the piano sound because that's all I know is not, and I I may have gone to like a piano and and like a string pad at Mac. That was was about as far as I'd gone. But, you know, I had no idea how to program any sounds. Um, Am I allowed to say the other keyboard player's name? It's quite good. School. If you like, yeah. 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 Okay. So the thing about this guy, so obviously I got the, the gig in the end, uh, which turned out to be a massive career opportunity. The other guy is a guy named John Shone. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and he really wasn't pleased about not getting the gig. Fair enough. Wow. Uh, but he obviously wow. on and he's got a great career. He was he's the musical director for One Direction, and he's done another. Yeah. Great. Which obviously is funny looking back, but if he had got the Russia gig, how different his life would have been. Absolutely!
0: Wow. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you get this audition, and and you, you what do you you just how soon do you go to Russia? Like like, and what's the deal? Like how, how did that work?
1: Yeah, it was soon. I mean, it was a really intense audition because we were in the room together at the same time. So it's like you play. Oh my okay, God. you play. And then it's like, all right, do you remember that Jermaine song from the other audition? All right, you play. All right, you play. <laughs> so we're just wow. doing, you know, a, yeah, a, like a rap battle. We're just going back and forth. Right, verses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> versus on piano live. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, he's killing the parts. Um, but yeah, they called me and said, look, we know you don't know about programming synths, but our musical director is going out with you. He's He'll program all the synths for you. We just want mm-hmm. we really like your vibe and we think you're the guy And to be honest, a lot of the music was very piano based music. It's big pop ballads and stuff that I can, you know, I'll do really well. So, graduate from uni in June, I think is when we graduate. And start of September, I'm living in Moscow. Wow.
0: And, and, and how, and, you know, I think the thing that's really jumping out at me about that whole little story is it seemed to me like you were obviously actively cultivating a few different possibilities which I think is a great thing it seemed like you could have it you know it seemed like to me like excuse me like you're 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 obviously playing piano which you've done for ages but then you're still playing basketball and then you're obviously studying to get a a business degree so it seems like you know had you not gone to that audition you could have gone to an interview for (laughs) for a regular job or you could have actually gone to you know Tried to do something with your basketball, but this just actually ended up being the thing which came first, right?
1: It's exactly, exactly. I know mean, I had
0: options. Was it the thing you wanted the most, though? Like, like, was it like you know, out of everything, if you could choose again, yeah. would it be like, oh, I wish I'd done some basketball, or you have, or was it really music was your passion?
1: You know, music was the passion, it was just what that was going to look like because, yeah, you know, I'd only just done literally, I maybe have done. Four or five gigs, like gig gigs, in my life before this massive. Right. Gig. So I was playing something called I think it was the Comedy Cafe or the Comedy Club in Shoreditch, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously, if it's that level stuff, I think my career would have progressed. It would have just been so slow. That was just like you know, you go and have a little jam session every few weeks or whatever. It wasn't. That wouldn't have. Kept yeah. Me.
0: You, know? you would have been like, fuck this, let me go shoot some hoops. So let me yeah. go get a jobby job. job. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't think I would have gone through the, the hustle you have to go through as a musician. Um, yeah. Because I sort of started the gig scene so late, you know, in one way I was. Yeah, I, I don't think if that was my route, I don't think I would have stuck with it. But yeah, obviously this Russia gig, he was the number one artist in Russia. Wow. So wow. that opened my eyes and everything because. I think when you're, especially in London, you forget the rest of the world, you know, of course, course. everything's right. London, 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 the artists in the UK. And that's all you focus on. When you think about just land mass, the size of Mm. Russia, I mean, it's in, and obviously he's famous in Russia, the Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Latvia, the Israel, all these territories. So we are literally touring the world with this one artist. You know <laughs> That's my first gig I'm still learning How to be an accompanist Because I'm still overly flowery From all my classical I'm just It feels weird To not play so many notes So Right, right I'm Still learning How to pull back Still understanding Chords Because you don't Grow up Learning chords As um What was the What was the artist's name? Sergei Lazarev Wow Yeah wow.
0: Okay Yeah I mean I think-
1: We had the first month Of rehearsals Um and the guitarist he kept talking to me chords, right. and I'm like, no, you need to spell that out for me. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> like, just yeah, I, was, I didn't grow up saying C minor or G, no, you just you look at the notes and the score and you play the music, you don't know? learn it as well. Right, right. You'd be like, No, it's augmented, it's a diminished. I was like, What are you saying? I was. <laughs> so so you so you so you had literally like a
0: real traditional put some music in front of me i yeah. can play it for you yeah. that's on it but i don't know about no yeah go to the two go to the four no, go no, to no. The five, yeah resolve but you didn't know that all that kind of regular kind of just muso shit basically. no
1: no i would if you sit, talk to me in cadences it was a i would be more comfortable talking about a perfect cadence than saying you yeah, that's how i would refer to two five one You know, I was going to say, you know, (laughs) it's things like that. So, but this is one thing that I think, Thankful, I think sports actually instilled this in me is like, right. If you don't know, if you've got a weakness, you attack that weakness and you make it, you, you make sure you're competent. Like you're not going to like, if it's a basketball, if I give a basketball analogy, if I can't do a layup with my left hand, I'm going to go and practice how to use my left hand. So mm-hmm. I didn't know chords. So I went and wrote a book called The Essential Chord Guide 101. You, know? <laughs> I, you wrote a book for uh, yourself. I wrote a book for myself. I about something you didn't know about. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it forced me to do the research. You got a lot of balls, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I got some nerve. But. Yeah, how did that sell <laughs> oh, well, you know i gave it away on the internet and it, wow but the thing with it is the whole my thinking was there's that phrase of um something like you learn best when you teach
0: yes yes
1: yeah you have to understand the information thoroughly before you can actually teach someone like, right if i mm, write mm, i'm gonna learn okay i mean as simple as what, changing a major chord to a minor chord just as a triad you know just you know moving the, the third is things the basics i didn't really understand you know on, on that level so writing that book mm. and it's, <laughs> it's crazy writing that book that that helped me so i knew i had the technique to obviously play the music that was being asked of me to play you know i, I didn't to really, this was more so that I knew I could communicate with the musicians effectively.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, yeah, all on the same page. So, yeah, so that was the training. That's the thing. I got the training with a huge artist, you know. Yeah. Uh, which I know if it was in London, I wouldn't have even got an audition because you have to be a certain level to even get in the door with you know a, a number one artist like touring, selling out, yeah, level artists. So.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think I just think, you know, that's a really like interesting um, set of circumstances there. I think what really kind of jumps out at me in like a quite fascinating way is that you, um, you know, I think that everything that you've done, all the steps to that point were very, um, you know, very ballsy. Do you know what I mean? Very kind of like confident and um, brave, really. And even the whole thing of writing a book about something that you don't necessarily know about there's not a lot of people that would actually be prepared to do that would you say that confidence and bravery and being prepared to um step into something or kind of step out of your comfort zone is that something you've tried to do a lot in your life
1: yes 100% and I think that is there's a lot that underlies why I operate like that um I think there's a few key philosophies that let me, even to this day, let me operate with that level of boldness and confidence because like I said, I know I didn't have the chord knowledge of a guitarist who's learned chords in that way for 10 years, but I had to, I had to feel like I still belonged in that room. I truly okay. like truly feel I had to feel like I truly belonged on these stages that I could really do. what I needed to do so. Yeah, I think one philosophy that really has always helped me is what I do, no one else can do. So I have mm-hmm. a unique gift. I have a unique thing to offer to the world. And I think once you get to a level that is you're at, you're at a high level in what in what you do, you're advanced in what you do. You have got you basically you deserve an audience if you like. Then you have to have mm-hmm. confidence to stop comparing yourself to everyone because. You know, I always go back to sport, I guess, because that was my first thing. But, you know, they always say there's always someone bigger, stronger, faster.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. Was better. But that doesn't mean that you cannot still achieve and not actually still win. It's just what you have. And you've got to be confident with your set of what you have and use that to the full. Hell yeah. Shit, I, f- I feel you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 That- That is, yeah, that is great advice. That's great insight too. And I think that to kind of have that at a young age, um, obviously helped you a lot um, over the years. So that's, that's fantastic, man. So just, I want to move on from there. So how long are you doing this Russian gig? And um, when do you come back to London? And when you come back to London, what are your plans?
1: What are you trying to do? So Russia, I was living there for about three years. Uh, It's a crazy situation because we went out, the initial contract was for four months. So it's one month of rehearsals and a three month tour. Mm -hmm. We do the one month of rehearsals. We do the first seven days and it is literally a different city every day. Um, And it's all these weird Russian names, you know, Tomsk, it's Omsk, it's Novosibirsk, it's all these places I've obviously never, ever heard of. After the seventh gig, um, the artist, uh, there's some problem with that. The artist, his manager and the promoter, and it all kind of broke down in a funny way, but that meant that other people were going to be booking the gigs. So mm-hmm. you know, this three month tour, they're like, no, we're going to start booking other stuff. And they, you know, the, after the first four months, they said, do you want to renew your contract?" And we were like, yeah, of course we stay for another six mm-hmm. months then another six months, then another year. Um, and then, to be honest, I was going to stay longer, but then the financial crisis, I think, I want to say 2011, mm-hmm. came about, and, you know, they're taking good care of us. You know, we're, we're on a retainer, we've got a good contract, we, they're paying for a flat for us, which is walking distance from the Kremlin, from Red Square, right in the center of Moscow. So wow. then obviously with this financial crisis, they said, guys, we, we're going to sort of stop doing this because it costs a lot. Obviously we're flying you back and forth, you know, the apartment and everything. So that kind of ended. And we came back to live in London, but we would still just fly out for the big shows in Russia. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I was li- probably about four years working together, you know, three living in Russia and about a year, year and a half coming from London. Yeah. You know. that, that, that's some, I, I think
0: when I first met you, you yeah. were still kind of maybe going back and forth or yeah. doing bits and pieces. I Remember you mentioning him, but I did. I, you know, again, this is the first time I'm realizing how deep that rabbit hole went in regards to what you were doing. But um, I think that um, it's great for people to kind of get that, like, you know, whatever the major city is that you might be living in. You know it's a big world out there, and you can be working in any of them, doing a variety of things that are you know that are paying your bills, making you income, doing whatever. And I guess to have an open mind to that is fantastic because I mean, you probably would have been. I mean, that's that's super stable to be on a retainer for like three years with an act. I mean, shit, that don't happen hardly
1: anywhere. (laughs) You know the crazy. Let me tell you the the real crazy thing is while we're in Russia, obviously I'm watching things back home. Yeah. And I've seen, this is when like the sugar babes are killing it, Tyler Cruz, Plan B, mm-hmm. all these kind of mm-hmm. And, um, so I came back to London and remember, I've never gigged in London on any type of level that you can talk about. All I've done is the comedy cafe and Pascal, you know, that, right. that, that's it. Um, uh, but at this point, obviously I've got touring experience. Um, I remember Beyonce's keyboard players. That's when the Roland Phantom X8 was a big thing. So I wouldn't got the Phantom X8, <laughs> you uh, know, all so this professional equipment now, I've got some experience. Um, you know, I I know, I feel more confident about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I get back to London and, you know, I can't get a look in with any signed artist. Mm-hmm. So
0: how were you, how were you going about trying to do that? What were you, what were you doing?
1: Well, that's, I didn't really know. I didn't really know. I think I was trying to connect with anyone that I knew, but I didn't really know anyone who's really in music at the time. I knew a couple of singers, um, all unsigned. And Mm -hmm. thankfully I met two singers at the time who I believed in both of them. Um, Mm -hmm. one girl, we wrote a song together that, you know, it just seemed to really connect with people. And we're playing at gigs and people are crying with this big ballad. I'm like, this is great. But like I said, I'm playing with, you know, my arena tour rig in Park, <laughs> East London <laughs> for six okay. people, for seven or eight people, you know, And um, which, you know, it, it, I remember there was one specific period. We flew back to Russia, to St. Petersburg, played, sold out arena. This is the, we're recording this for his DVD. Mm-hmm. Fly back to London and the next week I'm in this pub in East London, literally driving with my keyboard in a flight case to go and play mm-hmm. upstairs in this pub. And I, that was a point where I was like, wow, I'm in London. i I'm on level zero. I'm starting from... You must have been like, what
0: the shit is this? When you came back to the London
1: scene, you must have been like, wait a oh, minute.
0: It was- Where is my limousine? <laughs> Where is my caviar? Where's the caviar?
1: <laughs> Where's the caviar? Where's the caviar?
0: Oh, man. I thought
1: these artists were
0: famous. What's
1: going on? <laughs> uh, but the, the thing that was good in that period is that it reminds me that, you know, I love music. That's what yeah. it comes down to because I think to, to go through the hustle of doing that, no money, um, it's not about the money then. It's actually just about we enjoy each other's company. We enjoy this music. We want to perform and we're trying to get somewhere. We're trying to get good at what we do. And uh, that was kind of the journey. So I was working with this girl um, called Mayday, amazing songwriter, yeah. amazing voice, and she did end up getting signed right um, and she actually co-wrote a big track for Wretch three two, so she had a number one right okay uh, okay oh um that was was her track so this, this these initial connections, which I believe in them, they believed in me, they all went on to do really good things, and the funny thing I don't think you know about how we actually met was I'm doing a gig for this girl uh, yeah. again in a fairly small venue. And mm-hmm. we play the show and I, I love it again. No money involved whatsoever. This is just go and play a few gigs. Mm-hmm. And Chris Galino mm-hmm. was there mm-hmm. and he can, he's a keyboard player If anyone obviously that doesn't know him. And mm-hmm. he comes up to me and says, well, I love the way you play. Um, I play for an artist called Sophie Ellis Baxter. Mm-hmm. Um, but i've got a lot of work on sometimes you know i'm actually too busy on double booked if that happens do you want to fill in for me on those gigs that i can't do i'm like mm-hmm. oh, for sure yeah 100% so that was he was the first person i met who'd actually had some like industry level experience in london
0: right right that's right cuz um chris was the one that recommended you um to me and and you know i think we started initially he brought you down to a couple of auditions i can't remember which ones but it was definitely So wow, so that's, again, it's just great for people to realize It's like these little chance kind of meetings and chance relationships You never know who's watching, you never know who's looking And you never know what connection is going to lead to whatever So, you know, and I mean, you're a very personable guy So I imagine, like, you know, that would have been a cool little vibe between you guys
1: Yeah, and that was, like you said, that's the first person I met in London Who was doing anything on a serious level so that was great. And then the first thing he called me about was the audition. as a Pixie Luck audition, obviously, with you. That's right. Yeah? That's right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was an eye-opener in so many ways because, obviously, I've got no experience of the industry in London. I've all I've got is this experience for the last three or four years in Russia. hmm And I get to the car park. I remember that day the car park was rammed.
0: It
1: was <laughs> and, it, and that's it, when I used to do crazy ass big yeah. auditions. <laughs> and all I remember seeing guys who I've been seeing on TV from Russia, right? You know, right, these right. are the guys. I'm like, oh, these are the top dudes. These are the guys we've been watching. And the funny thing is, in Russia, because no one in the band had this sort of standard London musician um, experience. Uh, mm-hmm. We didn't know how the industry worked here. Right. And I, I remember our conversations in Russia were like, oh man, I would be embarrassed to tell these guys what money our retainer is because they must be <laughs> on five times that we just thought everything in London is going to be, you know, these are the real artists. And I remember the first. So first- did you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy cause, you know, obviously the, the, the chat in the car park is, all right, so what have you been doing? Mm-hmm. And there's one guy I'd seen him. I think mean, playing Wembley Arena with the Sugar Babes. And he's like, I played for Tyra Cruz, Sugar Babes, Jay Sean. I'm like, man, mm-hmm. how do you balance so many artists? Like, how can you do that with your, your diary? He's like, oh, I have to, I have to. That's just the way it works here. He's like, you have to kind of juggle a few artists just to stay busy. I was like, it was just baffling to me. I thought, what? what, what, what about your contract? What, I thought the standard practice was, you play with a big artist. You you sound like a job contract as you as you would, and you're and you just secure. I didn't. I had no idea that was a, a rarity.
0: Well, neither did I. Like that's the funny thing. Like I I came into um the session thing from a production background. And it just amazes, it's still, to be honest, it still amazes me to this day that there's no kind of, to the day, no, sorry, I mean, mean, it sound like, oh boy, but like, no, it's just like, it still amazes me that there was no paperwork or no kind of contracts that kind of exist between musicians, artists, labels or whatever, with regards to working in the session industry. It was all. You know, literally just like handshake because, you know, I would come across lots of people that had different gripes about different things or different whatever or different issues with whatever job they were on at the time or whatever artists they are working with. And I would be like, well, just leave. Like, you don't have to do this. And, you know, it just amazed me that, like, you know, there's, there's nothing keeping anybody on a gig apart from people being thinking that, oh, well, if they walk out on the show then oh that guy's going to be black marked but what if he doesn't want to do music anymore it just always really amazed me that the only thing actually keeping me on this gig on this stage is this kind of loose agreement that we all have that we kind of accept as fact that i'm going to turn up and i'm going to do it
1: it was just the biggest shock to me because i'll never forget when this particular person said to me when i described to him what i've been doing in russia He's like, that's my dream. That's what I want. I want to play for one artist and live off playing for one artist. And yeah, yeah. I'll just never forget to this day. That was just what? It really, yeah. really was an eye opener that there's it's obviously, it's a different way of working here. So I, I had a lot to learn. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, the irony
0: is about that. I remember that audition and that um, it was an audition for a gig that I never ended up doing because it was, um, I remember, remember there was that black smoke. I can't remember. It wasn't called the black smoke, but I always called it the black smoke because that show that TV, um, that TV show Lost was on at the time and it was a big yeah. black smoke. But remember there was some big cloud that prevented people from traveling.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I think that she couldn't get, she couldn't get back into the, um, the country or something like that To kind of make these particular shows And for whatever reason by the time it could All kind of happen it had gone away And everybody had moved on so um mm-hmm. Yeah that was hilarious so Okay so you're, you're now auditioning And um, what was the first gig You remember getting obviously Because you're now in this world I, I know that once you start meeting one person you meet another and you kind of make connections i I would have taken your number and details at that audition and maybe invited you to some other things so what was the first gig you remember actually getting
1: first gig was with you and is with tinchy strider oh wow okay Uh, that was a huge deal because you know, Tinchy. If we're talking about the size of artists, can't compare to Sergey and what we were doing in Russia. Mm, but because mm. this is like my hometown, like these are people that I know. He's a celebrity to me. And then yeah, to yeah. me is like, is it meant something to me. like, and he was the number one guy at that time.
0: I think that's the thing. I think people forget that that for a year or two, Tinchy was definitely a, a number one, top kind of top ten artist. You yeah, know? And he he was big at that particular time. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when, when we started in Tinchy and like when he walked into the rehearsal studio, I'm like, ah, "It's Tinchy's Strider. and it <laughs> meant <messed> something." <up> <laughs> you know, it was, it was a nice feeling because with Sergei, obviously, none of us, you know, the first week or two of rehearsals, we're like, "All right, just it's Sergei." It wasn't until we yeah, yeah. went out for and I know, went for lunch in the center of Moscow, went to McDonald's, and mm-hmm. he basically needed the police to come and shut it down because the place went crazy when he went into. To go and get a hamburger, I'm like, oh, wow. so he is famous, <laughs> you wow. know? So, wow, it's really wow. different, you know. It's um, it's really cool to play music that I listened to from mm-hmm. an artist that I know. That was, it was, yeah.
0: And did you again? So did you feel like? So, you, you know, you're now do, working with a UK pop artist as a session keyboard player. Mm. Did you feel like, did you feel like, hey, I've arrived? What, what was your kind of, were you excited that you got this gig? Was this just a new part of your journey or was it just, how did it feel for you?
1: Yeah, you know, my, my goals at the time were I wanted to play with ba- basically similar music to what I was doing in Russia. I wanted to play with the artists who were singers, who were doing the big pop ballads with a lot of piano. Mm-hmm, I wanted to mm-hmm. play for Dell, for Leona Lewis. Um mm-hmm. those kind of artists were where I was wanting to go to.
0: Right,
1: um, right, right. So yeah, Tinchy was obviously I'm like, right, now we're in the ballpark. We're we're in the conversation. Um so yeah, it was it was just it was a big it was just a big step in the right direction, going from playing those with the unsigned artists for nothing to finally all right, we're back on with major artists.
0: So, okay, I'm realizing that I could talk to you and a lot of people for hours and hours about some of these things (laughs) because um, it's so interesting hearing um, the kind of stories that led to certain things. Obviously, what I'd like to do now is just if you could just summarize that period of time for you, like how long were you sort of working in the sort of British kind of pop scene um, or session scene and what artists did you work with during that period of time?
1: So that was a good few years. You know, that was maybe five years Um, obviously starting with Tinchi and a lot of the work was with you, which okay. was okay. great for me, you know, to this day, you know, I'm always preaching about Kojo and what you taught me and how you've mentored me and shaped. It's very similar between sort of you and my piano, my music teacher in school, I said, um, was the head of the ABRSM, mm-hmm. uh, probably my most influential music mentors Wow. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. And I think a lot of it Who is, knew? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, what, what that teaches me is more than you sort of hands on saying, Oh, do it like this, do it like this more like just the way you work and watch mm-hmm. the way you work. The influence that has on me and with, on a lot of other people is huge. So um, obviously in that period, we worked with a singer called Delilah
0: mm-hmm.
1: that I went on for Delilah, a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I did get the gig playing with Deonna Lewis. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know, that was amazing You know, I, I loved it, but it was only you know, a handful of gigs mm-hmm. um, And then, so the major one for me Was playing with Tiny Temper Wow, so, that's
0: right Because Yeah, that's right I forgot you did that, okay
1: Yeah, but you know what, what I thought The most interesting thing about the Tiny experience was And I think, to be honest This is where my Russia experience kicked in mm-hmm. Because Who knew when I went to that audition room with that little Yamaha keyboard that if I get this gig and this contract, it's the next four years of my life, of touring, of income, Mm is the big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think when the tiny thing came came across, that was my mindset. I was like, whoa, if I get this, I think this is like a good two-year journey with an artist I love. I'll never forget going to a club in Kazakhstan while I'm living in Russia, listening yeah. to pass out, beating that like helps, ah, I'm, I felt like I was at home in Kazakhstan. I mean it just is music that I love.
0: Yeah, so like, right.
1: Yeah. This audition's come up. I think I got the call on maybe Thursday or Friday, mm-hmm. and the audition may have been on a Monday or so. I knew I had the weekend to prepare for it. hmm so I had actually just been doing a tour with Casio mm-hmm. and they had this synthesizer that for the most part, I feel like it was 85%. Let's call it not professional sounds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I definitely remember clowning you about that Casio keyboard. Yeah, yeah, like. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there was a part, there were a couple of synths in there. You couldn't program as deeply as on like big boy synths, but mm-hmm. the sounds were amazing. And there's the same, you know, technology they'd used in these synths, which were prolific in the 80s and which yeah, had been yeah. on a lot of, of tracks. Space so, Synthesis, I believe it was called. Yeah. yeah. So I w- I've rolled up to this um, uh, audition and I've been practicing the whole weekend. I programmed all the sounds mm-hmm. and I knew every part. That was gig ready.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So I remember I get to the audition and I'm the only keyboard player that's bought his own keyboards. Because yeah, they said, look, yeah. we've got to set up there. Just come and use the rig there. I was like, mm-mm. My one advantage after working with you for all these years is mm-hmm. programming. I think my ear is so tuned now that, mm-mm. you know, I think I've got an advantage there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a lot of synths. It's a lot of sounds on this thing. There's not a, it's not a ton of piano. There's a couple of big, they written in the stars and a couple of big songs with piano. But mm-hmm. a lot of it's going to be the sounds. Mm-hmm.
0: So, mm-hmm.
1: You know, I get caught up. And one of the songs that wasn't an audition song, I programmed the sounds to mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. start pretending to warm up playing the start of earthquake. Which, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, like a full on since it's, 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 it's all about the sound. Yeah. 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 And people start looking over like, is that a CD or is he playing that? Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and I'm like, it's got nothing to do with the audition because it's not an audition song, but I just was throwing it in there. So, you know, and I went, we're all obviously tiny. A big part of his identity is it's all about London and the UK. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I was wearing a T-shirt, which and my, my T-shirt had the UK flag on it. Mm-hmm, so I mm-hmm. kind of was trying to hit on every level to show- <laughs>
0: <laughs> you Thought it through. You oh, saying, oh yeah, okay, I,
1: let it, me- I, I went in and like even it, lyrically at that point, one of his songs he's talking about G-Shocks. Mm-hmm. And my deal with Cassie, obviously, they make G-Shock watches, so I'm wearing a oh. G-Shock. So it's like on every level. <laughs>
0: he was like, you don't know this, but you're going to love
1: me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Trust it. I, I really, I went as far into his mind. I knew his lyrics. So because a lot of the time artists, they may forget a lyric and they look over and I can mm-hmm. judge them perfect. So I, I was ready to go. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I did that first audition and I finished and they said, no, nah, oh, you stay on the keyboards. Yeah. So yeah. I did like another four or five auditions while they rotated the drummers and guitarists and everyone else. And mm-hmm. then that evening, they basically gave me the gig straight away. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. amazing, man. That's
0: yeah. it. Yeah. It just goes to show you preparedness is such an important thing. I remember um, those auditions. Um, and I remember particularly. Um, I remember talking to the md afterwards Mm -hmm. and they and that's what they said they said that yeah you just you you came the most prepared Mm -hmm. they they were like they were like everybody was just blown away because you had every sound nailed you had your own shit, and -hmm. you apparently the only person that came with that kind of level of readiness so it's like i think that people sometimes like you said like what you were talking about with your sports reference it's like Use what you got to your advantage. You know what I mean? There might be somebody that might be able to play better than you. There might be somebody with more experience than you, but it's like you came with the most kind of like the, the most prepared and the most ready to do the gig. And that got you essentially got your gig with what was at the time probably the biggest male artist in the country, or urban male artist in mm-hmm. particular. But at that particular time, Tenshi, I mean, sorry, at that particular time, Tiny was. He was just one of the biggest artists in the country yeah, for good yeah. two or three years. So um, I would say that that must have been a highlight for you of your career, right?
1: Absolutely, because it's an artist is like one of my top artists i wanted to work with, mm-hmm. and I love. I just loved everything about it. You know, yeah, like yeah, said, yeah. It did work out as I thought. It's about two years of work with Tiny, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of touring, and it's mm-hmm. with the best people. And mm -hmm. I'm just I'm learning constantly. I'm learning um, from the programming. I'm learning from Tiny because as a performer, I'm just I'm looking at it. I'm like, man, this guy. I think between him and Sergey are probably the best performers I've worked with Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. they hold. I mean, the whole crowd is in the palm of their hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love to observe that to think. Right, what are they doing? What Tiny just said to fifty thousand people: take off your shirt and swing it around like a helicopter. Boom. Come <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, that is the talent in itself. It's like there's something, he's got that thing. And he, and it's um the way this set is um that we we've created it. It's the flow of the music. It's have this song here. Mm-hmm. At this point we need this energy, and we're gonna take it down before we make it go crazy. It's all this the details of how to put this a show together that I was just loving and taking it all and just observing and And would you say those are things that you took with
0: you from that period of your life into what you're doing now?
1: Yeah. uh, 100%. 100%. I think that's, that's one of the advantages I have now in what I'm doing now is I've, I've seen him in part creating something that anyone in my field right now, I mean, they've probably never done anything like that. So I think I can create a different emotion and a different feeling um, for the audience from what i'm doing now because of all these experiences with tiny with sergey you know with yourself um and how we can make that's how we can create a show yeah absolutely absolutely
0: do you know what, so i'll tell you what's kind of coming to my mind right now i don't think in my whole time of knowing you which must be close to 10 years now yeah. i don't think i've ever heard you say anything negative about anything <laughs> now i think about it i don't think i've ever heard you you never really a moan or complain I, i've just never heard anything negative come out of your mouth which is obviously um obviously great it's obviously fantastic but mm. what was um what made you then at that point in time what made you then start thinking i want to do something else i want to kind of movement you know how did you transition from being this session player who'd basically achieved his dream gig for lack of a better term mm-hmm. to then deciding, and ah oh, do you know what i actually want to go a different way
1: you know i had a few key moments and one was on stage with tiny at the O2 mm-hmm. arena and as you do as we do and this is obviously- <laughs> this is the moment this is like the pinnacle you're playing and it's, it's supposed to be great experience and for the most part it was mm-hmm. but obviously i'm waiting for the songs with the piano in because i feel that's where i can really do my thing mm-hmm. and we've got written in the stars and we've got one other song i can't actually remember the title but it's, it's piano bass
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i just felt like i can do more there's i can actually there's so much i can do that i can't show within these songs mm-hmm. um within my phrasing because we have to play on the click
0: Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. you know we have to let's just hit these chords and just play the song Mm -hmm. and I remember feeling restricted and like I I used to for a long time I would go into soundcheck and just uh, have my headphones on and play my own music just Mm -hmm. imagine what it would be like and I remember just that thing in the O2 I was like I love this but I I can actually do a lot more than this wow wow yeah, that was a real thought. And then as I started to compose my music, um, is a gig with you actually, is with Ella Henderson. Okay. And we went to do an acoustic corporate gig in, mm-hmm. I want to say, Helsinki. Mm-hmm. And it, what was really interesting, interesting to me there was, this is a girl with great profile, great voice, and some really good songs. And we're the big after dinner uh, entertainment slot this uh Mm -hmm. corporate and we come out a really big introduction they're all clapping and we do the first song and somewhere in I want to say about the second verse of the first song the second chorus I could see the attention going a bit Mm -hmm. and the flow I mean musically tight, everything was great but the the energy the attention after working with like tiny tempers and people who really engaged the audience Mm -hmm. I just felt like mmm Something was missing until the last song came out. Then everyone's clapping and they all got yeah. back into it. And I'm seeing this. I'm like, you know what? With my music, I think I could, I could kill this. Like this slot here, I would mm-hmm. keep their attention for the whole thing. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. right. In that moment, I just knew. And this is with no, I'm thinking for me, this is when say no profile, no one knows my music. Mm-hmm. And I know I could put on a show. They will remember and they will, they will be in 100% the whole time. I just, it's like that, the light bulb went off. So. Man. man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That must have so been I'm, a really kind of, um, inspiring moment, really.
1: Yeah, it, it it was, it really was. I remember I was up till late. It just stuck with me. Cause I was like, I can, it's like a belief moment. It's like, I can really do this. Um, and I just, I just knew it in that moment. So I went back home and then it was like, Right. Let's f- we have to finish this music all these songs in my head and these ideas it's time so let's finish this album
0: hope you enjoyed that episode definitely check out part 2 in this next episode Okian drops more gems when the jewelry thief ran from the police